0: Hey, Bankless Nation, here's a big question on our minds. Where were the adults when all of this FTX stuff was going down? SBF seemed to get away with murder. This happened under a lot of people's noses. David, that's going to be the subject today. I think we're on a a mini theme this week. Um, I guess back with a vengeance Mm -hmm. as crypto gets its breath a little bit. And uh, we're asking this very important question in the aftermath of the FTX collapse. How did this happen? Mm -hmm. Where were the adults? Who do we have on today, and uh, what are we about to discuss?
1: Yeah, we're bringing on Matt Walsh from Castle Island Ventures, the Castle Island podcast. Uh, and a uh, little-known fact, a little-known secret, the Bankless Friday weekly roll-up was actually inspired by the Castle Islands podcast Friday weekly roundup. Uh, David means stole.
0: We stole that from <laughs> stole, you, Matt, stole. sorry. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but
1: like Matt and Nick uh, over at that podcast, it, it's like a breath of fresh air quite frequently. It's just yes. informed, experienced people talking like adults and adult things. Well,
0: uh, Matt, Matt used to work at Fidelity. Yeah, kind of yeah. ran mm-hmm. uh, Crypto at Fidelity for a while.
1: Right, and so uh, the b- broader question is like, yeah, where the hell? Who, why did we as an industry just allow Sam to use FTX as a slush, <laughs> slush fund? And I think Matt just brings some really uh, just seasoned and experienced perspective to the table. And in crypto, when things are just insane all of the time, I think we lose sight of how insane some of the stuff we do is. Uh, and so, um, I mean, Matt's pissed. Uh, he wrote an article that I was pretty sure titled, I'm pissed. Uh, and what we're going to do about it, and so I, I want to just bring Matt on to get his perspective as to like how crazy some of this stuff was, and how we go move on from here.
2: Yeah,
0: that's the big question: How do we let these drug-addled children <laughs> uh, mismanage ten billion worth of funds, right? And uh, become friends with our senators, represent crypto represent us, yeah. in DC, and uh, give us a-, a major black eye? And what can we learn from this episode? So. I'm hopeful Matt, as always, gives us a breath of fresh air as we talk to him. Guys, we'll be right back with the rest of this episode. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this possible.
1: Welcome, Bankless Nation. Today, we're bringing on Matt Walsh. Matt Walsh is a GP at Castle Island VC and also, like I said in the intro, the co-host of the On the Brink podcast. Uh, And I would once again consider Matt an adult, uh, which is apparently something this industry is in short supply of. Matt, welcome to Bankless, my man.
2: Thanks for having me, David and Ryan. It's great to be on. Big fan.
1: Cheers, man. Uh, dude, uh, are you pissed? You angry?
2: I am pissed. I, I mean, I've gone through so many levels of being upset about this over the past few days. Uh, I mean, I'm pissed from a lot of different reasons. I mean, I, I spend my entire day listening to entrepreneurs that are trying to build great things that protect people's sovereignty over their money, protect people's sovereignty over their data. Um And I just feel like this is a black eye for everyone. Uh, You know, I run a business in the space. I'm getting questions from people that think the whole industry is over. So I'm pissed that we allowed it to get to this point, frankly.
0: Who are you most mad at? Like, who's at fault for this?
2: I think clearly the Sam and the extended group of people that perpetrated this fraud, um, are to blame. I mean, there was a critical decision here along the way to take money from FTX from the customers and put it into his own prop shop. And so, whenever that decision was made, there was a line that can't be crossed, and it was crossed. Um, you know, and unfortunately, it's one of how many how many of these are we going to do. Like, this is just the latest and greatest exchange heist. It's the biggest one we've ever had. But you know, we're not immune to this in the crypto industry. And I just can't believe we're still doing it.
0: Do you think that the social layers to blame at all, like beyond Sam, which is an obvious villain? I mean, not all stories have obvious villains, but I think it's pretty safe to see as to say, after everything that's been revealed so far, we have an obvious villain in the story. Um, But how about maybe those that that let it happen? Um, Does the entire crypto industry have a role here? Are there other parties more responsible than, um, you know, are there some more responsible than others?
2: I think look, there's there's blame everywhere, and there's a lot of different pockets. I think you can let's talk about the investors though, you know, to start. And I think the investors that are in this deal are going to get a lot of heat, and I think some of that is going to be unwarranted, but some of that is is going to be certainly warranted. It's not, um, it's unfortunately not uncommon. To have fraudulent things happen in the venture capital industry. You know, you invest in a company and CEO ends up embezzling money or CEO ends up having an affair and it's a scandal. I mean, that type of stuff happens. Unfortunately, in this industry, there's been sort of this temptation to say, well, crypto is different. Like we just need to trust this new market structure and go with it. And so that has led to things that just would never happen in the world of financial services. And so Where I think a lot of blame has to be laid is the people that allowed this market structure to grow. If you look at traditional financial services, we learned in the late 1920s that owning a prop shop and owning an exchange was a massive conflict of interest that would result in taking capital from one entity and putting it in the other. We learned this in the
0: 1920s? Is that what you I said? I mean,
2: the Great Depression was a great learning experience for the way financial markets work. And so there's been a bifurcation of roles in traditional financial services, such that by now you cannot have a proprietary trading arm owning an exchange. It's a blatant conflict of interest. And this was Propri- happening
0: during the 1920s?
2: There are bucket shops. And if you read this book, uh, Reminiscences of a Stock Operator, I think it's a really interesting parallel to read in the context of FTX. Uh, Just all of these um, conflicts really that existed. And so we got things like the Securities Act of 1933 and the Securities Act of 19, uh, the Exchange Act of 1934. And so a lot of these conflicts were actually just taken out of the financial services space then and over time we've had additional regulation. So you know, you kind of pull that back and you say, okay, so Alameda raises venture capital dollars. We can talk about that later, how crazy that pitch deck was and the fact that people <laughs> funded that. But then they decide, all right, we're going to start an exchange. And people just say, oh, great idea, guys. Like you own Citadel and now you're starting the New York Stock Exchange. It like doesn't compute for me how people thought that this was a good idea. And, and almost just from a selfish perspective, it's like, okay, how are you going to take this company public? You're a venture capital investor, these companies need to go public, right? So you can't take a company public in the United States if it's an exchange that owns a prop shop. It just doesn't happen. And so, you know, we had- um, Is there a specific
1: rule that says that that can't happen? Like, why why can't that happen? I mean, I know it's insane, what, but why?
2: <laughs> well, there's there's conflicts there, right? So your prop shop, so Alameda traded on the FTX exchange. And so they had visibility into very granular participation on that exchange. So they would have been able to see if a large market participant had just moved assets onto the exchange, for instance. They would have been able to position themselves against that. So they so Alameda able- was,
1: was able to, the claim is that Alameda was able to take in data that only FTX as a privileged entity, the exchange, had, and Alameda was able to leverage that data. Is that an assumption? I mean, I'm sure it's true. Uh, but is there no world there, but where there could have been like a firewall between those two things?
2: Sam has public tweets that say that Alameda trades on the FTX exchange. That in and of itself is a conflict that actually cannot exist in the equity world. Okay. And so why did we think that this was a going to work in the crypto world and B good for customers? Like why is that good for a retail customer to have Alameda sniping orders on their own exchange? It's just it's a predatory market structure to begin with. And we just sort of all turned a blind eye because Sam's got a chia pet haircut and back <laughs> chair and it's got a cute story. And I think it's so I'm pissed about that. I think it's an absolute joke. It, you know, you talk to people that are managing, you know, billions of dollars, pools of capital in the equity world up here in Boston, and they're like, hold on a second, let me get this straight. So this guy owned a prop shop, it traded on the exchange and they stole all the customer products. of course he was gonna do so, like, obviously. <laughs>
0: well, uh, just to make that clear for folks, so Alameda was basically set up structurally to front run its own customers. You're just like, like just the base the base of the thing, prop mm-hmm. shop and exchange, and prop shop gets special treatment, that means front running, that means a percentage of, of slippage of front run, uh, rather than go to customers, goes to Alameda. It's already insider dealing just from the get-go, not, not to mention everything we find out, just the structure is rotten.
2: We're going to discover a lot of things. So the Department of Justice is going to be all over this. They're going to be flying subpoenas all over the place in terms of market participants who are on these platforms. And you're going to get chat history. and you're going to see chat history where it was FTX employees and Alameda employees sitting in the same office on the same chats together. Sometimes they had email addresses that were at you know one place, sometimes they had email address at the other. So you know it's it's really an in-your-face conflict. And you know, my, I never knew that FTX was a fraud. I, you know, like obviously, I had no way of knowing that, but I could look at it from the outside and saying that this thing is set up for failure from a conflict perspective. Like, what are you going to do? How are you going to get this thing into compliance? Maybe that's part of this conversation here around what was happening in Washington around the uh, Digital Commodities, you know, Protection Act. But you know, it was really structurally unsound from the get-go, is my opinion. Did you guys
0: hear that um, SBF had like a sort of a? A route around in kind of the, a backdoor. In the, in the books in the back door in the accounting system, so that he could kind of move money back and forth from from FTX and and Alameda, um, like his own personal, just I guess tunnel to 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 move funds without anyone else knowing. Is is, is
1: I mean, that's got to be that, part well, of it, right? That's it, goes from conflict to fraud, right? Like,
2: <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. I mean. You get into things like that, and now you're starting to expand the surface area of people at Alameda and FTX who really obviously knew about this, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't know how you run a product organization and don't ask where the cold wallets are. I don't know how you run you know, venture capital or corporate development investing, and you start to optimize around non-FTX deals in some of these transactions that happened. So locking in the Alameda borrow on these lending platforms. So I think the The net is a lot wider than uh, Caroline and Sam on this one, for sure. Sure. And like, Matt,
1: when I was listening to you and and Nick, like reflect on this, like it just made so much sense. Oh, yeah, there shouldn't be a trading firm and exchange have a relationship that is intuitive as an industry. How did we let it? Why did we let it go on for so long? Why did we just accept it?
2: So look, part of this is on the market participants, like the investors and the trading firms, and frankly, the the large retail, you know, people that are trading in this in this environment. There were a lot of trading shops that in the early days said we're not going to touch this exchange because Alameda is there and they're just going to be sniping us. But they got more comfortable over time, you know, for whatever reason. There was a lot of liquidity. I think, yeah, some of that was manufactured. You know, I think the VC investors plan to that, but frankly, it's a regulatory issue in large part. You know, the fact that this was set up in Hong Kong from the get-go, it was offshore, made it have this feel that, okay, well, it's offshore, you can do this type of stuff. And I think we are going to spend a lot of time in the coming weeks trying to figure out what this plan forward here was that he had in terms of coming into the United States, what sort of no action letter was discussed at this meeting with the SEC was the master plan here to get fully compliant in the US in some way with FTX the offshore entity to bring that on shore there's you know a lot of chatter that he's trying to launch a stable coin i mean you just think about if he was successful in pulling this off this con that he was pulling with the regulators could this thing have been two three four times bigger with you know much more institutional capital much more us retail on the platform if he actually got greenlit um so i think that that's outrageous frankly I'm, I'm uh, pissed about that. I
0: mean, I mean, just I I shudder at the fact that uh, at, you know, FTX having its own stablecoin. I just shudder at the fact that 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 could be called into existence and be backed by you know, possibly nothing. Yeah. Um, FUSD, I guess, would be the stablecoin. Yeah. Uh, okay, so where were the regulators at the table, and, and what parts were? what parts were regulated because I mean they were having meetings with regulators obviously and FTX and FTX US to some extent were were regulated entities is this just what slipped through the what slipped through the cracks maybe talk about the regulators and also I mean weren't they audited didn't they have auditors who were checking the books and making sure that everything was was sound wasn't that part of the part of the process
2: The regulatory question is a really difficult one, I would say. So FTX US obviously regulated, um, has MTLs, was pursuing a New York trust license, is my understanding. FTX MTL for people is what? uh, Money transmission licenses. So in the United States, a lot of these exchanges, historically, Coinbase uh, included has had to go state by state to get money transmission licenses because there has been no federal regulator to oversee things like cryptocurrency exchanges. Um, Now we're starting to have companies set up in New York under trust licenses uh, that can can service the country, uh, you know, from there. FTX started offshore. And so we're talking about a market structure that was really interesting from an investor standpoint for a long time because you had companies like Coinbase and Kraken that were playing by the rules in the United States, but had frankly just inferior products because they couldn't offer leverage. They couldn't offer the derivatives that were offered on FTX. FTX was not regulated by anyone. I mean, I've seen Sam's tweets that, hey, we're a regulated entity. FTX, the the offshore entity was really not. I mean, they were operating in a wild west for a very, very long time. They were trying to come under a CFTC umbrella, trying to get uh, repatriated to the United States, but they had not done that. And, uh, you know, we'll see, I think, how far along that path they were. But this really created this bad environment if you're Coinbase and Kraken, because you have all eyes on you. Kraken and Coinbase were getting dinged left and right for seemingly like pretty minor things, but the CFTC, um, you know, offering margin on spot, like things that, okay, you're not supposed to do, but hey, take a look at FTX and they're servicing U.S. customers. Tons of U.S. retail is on FTX offshore. Meanwhile, Coinbase and Kraken are getting slapped. Everything they they do It's a very difficult environment. I give a lot of credit to Jesse Powell and Brian Armstrong for building their businesses as strongly as they did in that environment. Um, the RSX team, you know, give them a lot of credit for building a regulated exchange that played by the rules in the face of just a kind of a Wild West offshore entity that meanwhile was getting investment from SoftBank and Sequoia and, you know, was having meetings with Gary Gensler, apparently. It's just, it's really crazy.
0: So would these regulations have prevented the issue, do you think?
2: There's a lot of things that would have prevented it, right? So It was known that U.S. customers were on FTX. And so regulators in the United States could have taken action against them on that basis that they were knowingly servicing U.S. customers. They issued a token, FTT, which is an unregistered security. And so you would think that that would be kind of the heart of an examination here around what the SEC could have done better. You're allowing an entity that, okay, it's not registered in the United States, it's offshore. But it's mostly U.S. people, mostly servicing U.S. people and institutions. And they just issued this unregistered securities offering. And they were able to go out to a number of financial services firms and use that as a form of collateral to get U.S. dollar and stablecoin loans against. So the surface area here for things that regulators should have been paying attention to is really large. Meanwhile, they're going after library credits and Kim Kardashian. It's, it's really hard to reconcile. So by the were, way, do you were think- we not
1: supposed oh. to be able to trade on FTX as U.S. citizens? Like, was FTX no. supposed to block us in the same way Binance does?
2: Yes. What? Yes. You're- the yes. hell? Yeah, you're not supposed to be able to trade on FTX, the primary venue, as a U.S. human.
0: I and mean, why is that? You you are saying not just spot trading, but you can't do
1: anything.
2: It's an you it's know. really it's an unlicensed derivatives exchange. It's right. um. It's
1: so what Bitmex you know- got in trouble for being.
2: Yeah, I mean, and and they had uh, to be clear. I think FTX had geo blocked the U.S. at at various points, and so I think people were accessing largely via VPN, uh, is my understanding. And you know, in the later years, you wouldn't be able to get onboarded there unless you had an offshore sub, which I get. You know, is fine. Like that's that's how people were doing it. But um, yeah, they were servicing U.S. customers, and you know, a lot of them.
1: Uh, honestly, I just thought that there was FTX US and normal FTX and everyone in the United States was like, I'll, I'll just go use the, nor- the FTX normal version because it's better and more powerful. And for some reason that that was just legal. I never really thought that they were actually supposed to ban US customers in the same way I guess like Binance and all the other exchanges were. But now in hindsight, it makes total sense. It just seems like the you, the regulators just took the, the turned the biggest blind eye of all time.
2: I think they did. I think they did a judgment that it would be difficult to go after FTX. They had a huge war chest. They had some really large backers. And they said, this is going to be a tough fight to win. We already have a, a fight going with Ripple, which you know Ripple seemingly has endless amounts of capital to spend on lawyers and their defense. They have a big case there. And it's a lot easier to go out and take down a fraudulent ICO. Look, the list of fraudulent ICOs that still haven't been prosecuted in the United States, what, there's four or 500 of them probably. And so you could spend the next three years just going after them and never picking the big fight with FTX. And then you had Sam, who was donating a lot of money to Democratic causes. And then you had uh, someone who works for him donating to Republicans. So they're sort of greasing both sides and... They're saying the right things. They're saying they want it to be compliant. And so my guess is that there was a decision that, look, there's just easier cases to win right now. Like, let's go take down library credits. (laughs) So
1: the conclusion that I've kind of taken as a result of of this, and I was listening to Brian Armstrong on the All In podcast talk about... Uh, how he was like kind of measuring up Coinbase to FTX and he knew that Coinbase had some amount of revenue and FTX had that amount of revenue. Yet FTX and like Sam were able to like buy anything and everything under the sun and also donate seven million dollars, $70 million to Democrats and slap their name on like uh, the arena in Miami and like d- try and buy Twitter, uh, help Elon Musk buy Twitter. And, and uh, um, Brian from Coinbase was like, I just couldn't – the math didn't check out as to, like, where all these funds were coming from. And now that we're, like, uh, starting to see some of the, the, the size of the hole that FTX had, as far as I'm concerned, Matt, and I want you to check in on this, is, like, ftx was just sam bankman's freed slush fund to score points uh, and do cool things that he was like he was treating the world as a video game and he was treating ftx as like his inventory to navigate that world and it was just his slush fund to do whatever the hell he wanted
2: I so that's what i think i mean i think there's clear on-chain proof that Coinmetrics and Lucas Nuzzi discovered in Q2 around the transfer of FTT tokens uh, between the entities. And so at minimum, we know that that's when it started. I think it's a very strong possibility that it was run off of customer funds even before that. But I think on chain, you can see in Q2, and I feel pretty confident about that. I think the question of where was Sam getting all this money is going to get a lot of scrutiny in the, in the years to come. And so he made a $500 million investment into Robinhood out of a, an entity that he controls. And so if you're an investor in FTX, you know, I guess we'll find out, did Sam sell common stock? Like, Did he take a secondary and take money off the table? Was it $500 million? Was it a billion? And if he did not, then where did you think the money was coming from? And my guess is that a lot of people thought that it was coming from Alameda. So he owns 90% of Alameda, and he's probably taking big distributions off of the prop shop, which raises two questions. One, what's the potential conflict there? And do we like that as investors in FTX? Do we like the fact that this guy is making way more money off of a business that we're not even investors in? And is he going to optimize for that? And the second question it raises is, what the hell is our exit strategy? Obviously, we can't go public if we have this structure. So how are we going to get liquid, liquid on this thing? Is it going to be FTT tokens? Can this company go public? So it raises a lot of questions. I mean, he had a $500 million LP venture capital book, Sequoia, Altimeter, Multicoin. I mean, there's a lot of money being shown.
0: The more, the more we find out about this, uh, it just you know, makes me realize like we literally gave billions of dollars to a degenerate uh, gambler and um somebody for for somebody i mean for him it was pathological you you just kind of look at the decisions he's made and the types of risks he was engaging in and the speed at which he was trying to uh level up in in the sam 5 video game and it's just like it's pathological uh and the different face like the lies that he told even he's still tweeting this morning matt like what is he talking about what happened was the tweet i like the the study of sam bankman freed i'm like uh, I'm sure there were um, some filmmakers trying to make documentaries early this year and like do- doing the Do Kwan documentary or maybe the three-hour Suzu uh, documentary. But like all of that is now overshadowed by this. This is even
2: crazier. And I can't believe it. Like, I can't believe our industry is like this right now. I've spent a lot of time and I've been speaking to a lot of people uh, that knew him. And I, I just can't get over the human being side of this. You know, <laughs> yes, how do you- I know. <laughs> how do you bring yourself- to this level where you're taking customer deposits and you're just going this far beyond the pale. And it, it's FTX employees too, right? I mean, he had FTX employees that had not only all of their crypto, all of their money on the platform. We're starting to hear some of these stories. And so just the human destruction that this has caused, it's just, it's really hard to wrap your head around. you are I mean, you're obviously dealing with someone that does not have emotions, that can connect to people On a human level, it's a true sociopath that we're talking about here. And so I don't even know if it's worth analyzing the human, you know, he's not experiencing the world in the same way that the three of us are experiencing the world.
1: There's not a human there.
2: No, it's, it's (laughs) crazy. (laughs) Okay. So
0: how do we protect our, so here's kind of a question, right? Is uh, people like this exist. All right, we know this we, we have a few cases this year maybe sbf being the most blatant case it's unbelievable to the lengths he was he was going and how far the in pathology would would lead him um but how do we know who to trust and here's a question i think in everyone's mind um i i, I was telling david yesterday my dad called me over the week and he's like i have some funds in coinbase should i get them out and i can't actually like even though brian armstrong coinbase is no g brian armstrong uh or Coinbase is is regulated institution I personally trust Coinbase I can't say I know for sure like at this point in time I think this sort of thing is going through everyone's mind like you mentioned um the FTT token well Binance has the BNB token right so like like what's that is there leverage against that how safe is Binance how safe is Kraken how safe is Coinbase how do we know do you have any insight into this Matt I mean The the knee-jerk reaction and panic, which uh, because the show is called Bankless, I don't want to discourage this in the least, is withdraw your money from exchanges. Use it like a public bathroom. You get in, do your business, you get out. You convert the fiat to crypto, and then you self-custody, right? Not everyone can do that. We don't have the tools ready. Which crypto banks can we trust right now, and how do we actually know?
2: Look, so I I think there's a lot to that question and there's a lot that we should be doing. Uh, One of the bigger disappointments about this is that public blockchains give you a tool set that we're just not taking advantage of right now. And so the first thing is self-custody. So I think we need to redouble our efforts and our investments into making self-custody easier. I want to live in a world where I hold a key Fidelity holds a key and another trusted party hold a key. And we have a very safe multi-signature or MPC-based custody scheme. I think at scale, the whole definition of custody needs to change for crypto assets. I don't want to live in a world where I'm storing anything with a, a central administrator that can move on their own. And so I think we need to invest in product management experiences. So that's one thing. Can we so I can... just
0: pause on that for a second, Matt? Because yeah. you run a fund too, right? And we've seen some funds get blown up. Uh, Ike guy, Travis Travis Kling, hit a whole bunch of his fund on FTX. You're saying that should not be the strategy moving forward. There you should there should should be sort of some multi sig, some on chain uh, type of wallet uh, used for for funds, and we should no longer trust an exchange as the model moving forward. Is that right?
2: Look, so right now that infrastructure doesn't exist. So you can't point to it and say, look, Travis, you shouldn't have been doing it this way because he had a strategy and he was executing that strategy. I think in the future, what we're going to have is exchanges will be bifurcated from custodians. And so Mm. you could imagine tri-party relationships enabled by MPC custody solutions that allow you to trade on venues but not move your crypto assets there, to keep them in the possession of a custodian and even potentially at some point in the future with a key arrangement where you hold a key the custodian holds a key and someone else holds a key and so you don't live in a world where someone can run off with that we need to invest much more in that and so we're you know we're investing in the retail side of this Uh, we're investing in the institutional side of this we need to get these things to the point where funds like castle island can use them in production soon and so that's the first thing i would say on the the self-custody the other question uh ryan is kind of around proving reserves, I think. I I mean, I've heard you guys talk about this, and it's more than just proving the reserve, it's proving the liability. And I think so you need to have some uh, accounting and audit firm involved in the liability side. But we should really be demanding out of our custodians and exchanges that they implement a proof of reserve policy. Um, It is great to see some of these competitors come out and say that they will do this. So I'm very encouraged by that but we need to really speak with our capital. And so if you have funds on a platform and they're not doing this and you want them to do it, there will be alternatives, I think, in the very near future.
0: Um, What do you think the regulators are gonna take coming out of this? Are they going to be the ones to institute the types of reforms that you're talking about? Or are they going to be the ones to have a complete knee-jerk reaction to this and take steps to further encumber, further Uh, trap, further harm crypto, further drive it outside of, at least in the U.S.'s cases, outside of the borders of the United States of America, what do you think their reaction is going to be in the aftermath?
2: I'm going to be really interested to see what the blowback is. Um, So we've had a shifting of the tides in the House Financial Services Committee. And so we're going to live in a world where McHenry and Emmer have more power. They've both been very pro-crypto. We'll see if they still are, frankly. I I think a lot of damage has been done. Uh, The first thing we very clearly need is just clarity on who regulates the spot market for these things in the United States. Um, And the second thing we need is just a way for a token project to raise capital and eventually be fully decentralized. And so Hester Peirce, I know you guys have had her on the podcast, I think her proposal is the most viable option. So this token safe harbor proposal would get you to a point where you have clarity on whether or not these things are securities or commodities. And then if you have the further clarity on who the regulator is, then I think we just kind of fall into line. The the third thing I would say is that, you know, the DeFi part of this is kind of wide open. And none of what I just said applies to DeFi. My view is that these networks should not be regulated at the protocol level. And, um, you know, I, I hope that that continues. I think Sam, frankly, had a lot different View on that. And that was going to be very, very harmful, I think, to the industry if he was successful,
1: Matt, there's a few more topics I want to want to touch base with you on. Uh, I think there's some more silver linings out of this uh, event that I think we could unpack a little bit. Um Also, there are some other cast of characters that have revisited the scene, like Doquan and Suzu and, Kyle Davies have chosen this moment of all moments to come back and, and say hi. So I want to kind of get your takes on that and a few other things. But first, we got to cut for a second sponsor break to thank all these sponsors that make the show possible. And we are back. Uh, I think we were talking uh, um, during the commercial break about um, there's a number of different topics that we want to get through. And w- one of those is, I think, is is this, is what we're watching happen right now. Sorry about this fire truck. Uh, is the logical continuation of the May uh, contagion uh, First we had Terra Luna Which which triggered the contagion with Fero's Capital, which triggered the contagion of a lot Of things, and then Alameda Really had the show of strength During that one moment, which And we were talking about this, me and Ryan were is Like, yo, like FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried, they're buying everything, they're saving The industry, like, when Sam tweeted Out that he was saving BlockFi Like, the markets pumped a little bit, I remember Like, that was a plus 10% day uh, But little did we know that the reason why that worked was because uh, of the uh, fake plugging of the hole between Alameda and and uh, and FTX. And so, like, my question to you, Matt, is like, this is the same contagion, right? Like, this is the same event. It just happened to be like we got like a six month break out of it, right?
2: I, I think that's right. I mean, it's funny. I, I look back on all my text messages and you know Telegram chats, and I just put it in Alameda and see when I started talking about it, and you know early days and like looking at pitch decks and things like that but then there's a lot of chatter around the COVID crash so what was that like march of 2020 uh when the markets nuked there's a lot of chatter that alameda had blown up then we never really heard anything about it so i'd you know put a pin in that one i'm interested to see if that comes out in a forensic analysis if they actually took customer funds as early as 2020 and moved over but i think I feel a lot more confident to say that Luna played a big role in this. And so I think the way to think about that is we've already established that Alameda trades on the FTX exchange and they're kind of a backstop liquidity provider. And so, you know, imagine a world where Luna blows up and people are just chucking Luna as fast as they can into that two, three day period is it possible that Alameda was blowing up because they were on the other side of all of that and they were just backstop liquidity on the FTX platform i'm speculating but that would make sense if you look at this through the lens of how could you lose that much money yeah the robin hood deal and tom brady and giselle and you know but doesn't really add up and so i think what's likely is that Alameda took a massive hit on the luna trade and that they just allowed the Alameda balance to run negative negative equity on the platform. And so they just started to, you know, they basically couldn't lose like Alameda could not get blown out on FTX. And so then it became really like a Ponzi dynamic from there where they just needed to get net new retail flows and institutional flows onto the platform to continue to operate the exchange because they had such a a huge hole. So I, I'd be really curious if that's what it ended up being, because you could imagine that's the case, right? They didn't come out and say that they had a huge loss to three hours capital. They didn't come out with a big Luna loss. It's possible they just ate all of it.
0: Someone in the chat is asking, can you talk about what you believe will happen to those who have coins in BlockFi? What do you think, Matt?
2: I don't know. And I should, I should disclose that I'm a Castle Island is an investor in BlockFi. The way that I looked at that deal at the time, so Zach, I have the utmost respect for uh, I'll stand behind Zach Prince and Florida. I think they're highly ethical management team. The three arrows situation resulted in a, basically an untenable situation where they're dangerously low on uh, net equity capital. And Sam came to the table with a deal that would result in a very bad outcome for the equity holders, but it would allow the customer deposits to be made whole. And so there was a discussion around taking that deal. They took the deal. And I was ultimately supportive of that deal, even though it, was, it resulted in us writing our equity position down to zero. And I thought that Zach and Flory behaved highly ethically in that standpoint, and they truly believed that that would save the business. Uh, where that stands right now, you know, I think I don't have any insider knowledge, but certainly their lack of ability to pull down on that credit facility is, is not good. I'll give
0: you my take. So I have a small bit of funds uh, in BlockFi. I like to test these things. Uh, it's really fun to test uh, crypto banks like BlockFi and Celsius. Um, yeah, it's been it's super been really fun, right? fun <laughs> um, I personally, this is just Ryan's opinion. I personally, am, I've discounted everything in BlockFi to zero, basically. And if something falls out of that that's above zero, I'm happy with that. But um, given the way I'm kind of reading the tea leaves, I don't have a lot of hope where I, ha- I have... Similar levels of hope as maybe I had uh, with Celsius. Although I will note, um, I agree with you in your assessment, Matt. This is a different situation than Celsius, which uh, I mean, Celsius is very clearly machinskied. It was completely yeah. ma- mismanaged. And this is a, a different case of that. Um, this is not a degenerate gambler at the helm. They just got caught up in some risks that they didn't anticipate uh, with some of these events here. But So you think that b- back to kind of what popped the balloon here, you think maybe behind the scenes, it was sort of Luna. I'm just I'm just fascinated that SBF and Alameda were able to run this thing for like five more months, okay? Because no one really knew. In fact, the the here's the insidious thing coming out of that is like, as David was saying, all of these funds get wiped out through his capital. Trader gods of 2021, wiped out through his capital. Who's left standing? It's Sam Bankman Freed, it's FTX, it's Alameda. And they came out of this event actually looking stronger. And really, the whole thing was was hollow. The whole thing was rotten all the way down. There was something else that actually ended up popping the uh, the balloon here. And I'm wondering what you think that was. Was it really CZ's tweet on that, uh, that boring Sunday afternoon? It was afternoon East Coast time anyway, where he tweets out about FTT. Was that the final pinprick? A week before that, we had... Um, of course sbf giving his uh regulatory takes with eric Voorhees not very well received by the community that seemed to be like uh, if you were charting sam's um i guess influence in the crypto community or the fondness of crypto that started to hit like his fondness meter by all time to all time lows But i'm not sure that was the prick maybe it was the the cz tweet what do you think
2: I, th- I think you guys might be in the movie here because I think what you guys had with the Voorhees <laughs> and him, I think th- that played a role in it. So I think, Sentiment had really started to turn against SBF on some of this DeFi stuff that we're talking about, the fact that he was really trying to nuke DeFi to the advantage of his own company. And so you started to see people get pretty upset about that. And the price of FTT started to slip a little bit, started to see a a kind of a little bit of a bank run effect where people were not comfortable. Voorhees wiped the floor with him in that uh, that debate. It was uh, unlike anything I've ever seen. So it started to get a little bit precarious. Keep in mind, he has FTT on collateral with a bunch of places. And so he's probably getting margin called as the price starts to adjust. People are calling and saying, are you good? And then CZ gets wind of it. CZ is like, you think CZ didn't see this on chain in Q2? I mean, he's one of the sharpest guys in the industry. I bet that he knew that they had been moving FTT between the entities. Um, You know, he has access to the stuff that, you know, CoinMetrics is putting out there. So my guess is that he knew that... was up he probably didn't think it was a complete fraud that it ended up being he probably thought hey look they're running fractional and he decided to just test the waters a little bit you know who knows you guys should try to have him back on but i i doubt that he not knew it was this bad
0: i think we will one day I, i i almost wonder if the cz maybe saw some of this on chain but the final straw from him was finding out that um SBF and FTX was working behind the industry's back in DC, and when CZ saw that sentiment drop, right, he decided to, to fire an arrow into this thing, and uh, it, maybe that was the the final arrow. But I just shot reflecting the
1: bow actually crumbled the whole entire ship.
2: Yeah, just the yeah, wind I mean, that tweet, the cannonball. That tweet around is CZ allowed in Washington DC ends up being Ooh. one of the most costly tweets of all time. This is what I'm
0: saying. I hate to keep going back to the psychology of the man, but the, the utter hubris, uh, imagine like thinking, coming out of that that episode with Voorhees that you had won the debate, or he wasn't even prepared, quite frankly. I no. mean, everyone knows what Voorhees is going to say. He's He wrote a freaking post basically, his entire opinion, and SBF was just ill-equipped. Like it, it was as if he had not been in this industry for the past four years, had not heard the arguments of the crypto ethos aligned people, and was completely inadequately prepared to meet those arguments in any coherent way. And yet he still chose to have a debate with Eric Voorhees on this subject. It, like Why? It's just dumb. Why would you tweet that about CZ? Like dumb. I can't believe it. It's the hubris of the person, which is which is why par- part of the the things coming out lately, I mean, we talk about um, the children run, running things where the adults, I, I kind of wonder like to what degree, like, I don't know, amphetamines were in play, like drugs, like some, there's something that has really pushed a personality towards all in Icarus, hubris, gambling with depositors money level of uh, schemery here
2: i think that'll be part of the defense i think that's probably what we're seeing with the tweets is that some sort of an insanity or you know purged on amphetamines type of a defense Uh, you're right ryan i mean when you read that when you go back and you look at that debate and i've I've watched it a few times what i kind of think is who would give money to this guy Right. I know it's, and yeah. I would give money to Eric Voorhees but he's smart enough not to take it and you know, <laughs> he, he wants to deal with me in a non-custodial way and uh you know it's kind of crazy it's um it, I think when the movie is written that'll be kind of the the last chapter here where he's just kind of falling apart and you know addled and just you know physically like falling apart too
1: yeah Uh, but also like the the whole like hubris and psychology part of the angle i think is is worth like uh, diving into a little bit because like we as an industry like i was talking around on a stream yesterday it's like when ftx like rugs their customers and their investors or something in the crypto industry happens that it gets out of crypto and like my mom calls me up and be like dave what's going on in the crypto world i'm like that's my responsibility that's on me those are my shoulders that like uh, this rests on because that's how i'd like treat my my relationship with crypto and like we had this was the like third or fourth thing like this in a long year of 2022 where the same patterns happened over and over again we had these egotistical like maniacs who loved to so why did spf take this debate with eric Voorhees? because his ego had to do it why did he not Let Alameda fall when he could have just let Alameda go to zero and keep his darling exchange, which was printing hundreds of thousands of dollars every single day because of his goddamn ego. Why did Do Kwon like tweet out steady lads deploying capital while like all that stuff? Ego like Suzu and Kyle Davies ego. And, And like we as an industry keep on enabling these people. We love the egos. We're like, yeah, say funnier tweets. Yay, like do something on Twitter. And like we promote these people and we put them there. And so like, this is like the reflection I've been having is like, man, we really take these crazy maniacs and like make a farce out of them for our own enjoyment. And then they rug us and we're like surprised. (laughs) Like what the hell, man?
2: we've enabled a lot of eccentric sociopaths in the history of this industry and i think look there's always going to be some idolization of public figures elon musk is a great example of that but what we need to do is just put better scaffolding behind this industry so that the real builders can actually be successful here. And this doesn't happen again. And so there's some super obvious things that we should be doing. We should be insisting on proof of reserves and liabilities. We should be enabling, we should tell these exchanges that they need to get into full compliance with how other financial assets work. Why do they not have um, market manipulation, surveillance sharing agreements between themselves? Why are they not enacting the travel rule? It's like, whether you like those rules or not, they work in other markets. They're the law of the land in equities. They're going to be the law of the land, whether you like it or not in crypto. So just get into compliance. It protects your customers. Uh, token investing schedule is another good example there. And so we better get our act together as an industry and stop dumping on retail You know, from insiders and from you know the venture funds and the crypto hedge funds. I, there's a lot of things that we should just take this opportunity to just burn it all to the ground and come back in a better way. And it's not that we need to just lean in and say, hey, regulate us. It's let's do things that protect the users of these networks. That's really what it amounts to. What I a crazy there's... thought.
0: Damn, who yeah. would have thought? And I think there's some wisdom there, Matt, because like I think what I hear you saying is um, don't expect human beings to behave any better next time around, which right. if if anything that crypto taught me, it's that. We're going to make the same damn mistakes every three to four years, aren't we, with a new generation of people. And... We feel the lesson now, right, as we did with Mt. Gox in 2013, now here we are less than 10 years later and uh, it's happening again. So rather than depend on people, we have to push this down a layer into the protocols. We have to put proof of reserves into the stack. We have to use bankless money systems. We have to use multisigs. We have to use all of the on-chain cryptographic resources that this industry is supposed to be based on. And not leave this all at the social layer. And yes, I think where there is centralization, there needs to be a coherent, well thought through regulation to plug some of those holes. But we can't rest on the people, the masses. Uh, you know, we can't like discipline them or scorn them into propping up you know the next egomaniac, uh, the next you know mega lemiacal character that crypto brings because I know they're coming back, and even now. Like today, I was looking at uh, you know, tweets from Suzu and Kyle Davies formerly of Three Hours Capital. I'm like, you guys are planning to come back, aren't you? The there's like blame shifting, there's a little bit of like, we're not as bad as like, you know, this happened because of bad bad SBF. Like, I already see the seeds of this shit happening. Like I can we've seen the playbook enough. You've seen it, I've seen it, David's seen it. We can already call it. And like the fact that these people are not only are they not in prison not only are they not in court okay they're still tweeting and planning their comeback story is absolutely maddening meanwhile we have alex pertsev who's an open source developer no one knows his name not a superstar coder he's in a prison somewhere he's in a jail what what was his crime he wrote open source privacy software in code that's what he did all right and we have all of these people no charges laid against him. We have all of these other people uh, walking free too. It's like the injustice of it just starts to pile on you, Matt. It just starts to like. You started your post. You started this conversation. I'm pissed. I'm pissed too. Like I'm pissed. We need to do better. Regulators need to do better. Our justice system needs to do better. Like we need. I don't even know what to say at this point. It's absolutely. Maddening that we are in this spot and it's embarrassing. I'm with David, like every conversation you have with an outsider. It's like, I don't want to have to keep justifying crypto's existence. I want us to do the right thing and stand by our principles. And why does this keep happening?
2: I couldn't agree more. I think it's we need to take the parts of this industry that are rotten and we just need to burn them to the ground and purge these people from the industry forever who cares if they're tweeting justice takes months to catch up. I'm not worried about whether or not these people will be brought to justice in the least. There's been gross negligence and highly obvious frauds that have happened. And I think all of this will take care of itself in due time took Madoff like 24 hours to be arrested. It's going to take a little bit while longer for some of the people that blew up in the Q2 time period. Looks like it's going to take a little bit while longer with SPF, but ultimately these people will be brought to justice. I think right now what we can be doing is just building a better foundation. And I think it is also at the social layer. It's let's put let's put frameworks in place for uh, disclosing who the investors are in some of these projects. When do their tokens come off of lockup? Uh, you know what information does the team have? What information does the retail have? Common sense stuff. So. I think we can build this back, but I think eventually, look, we're going to get past this time period. We're going to get all of our anger out. I'm still pissed. There's going to (laughs) come a time here where we're just going to need to focus on what's left here. And we just need to make sure, let's just take this opportunity to just, Burn the stuff to the ground that needs to be burned to the ground. There's a lot of uh, zombies out there still. Let's just wait for the dust to settle.
0: Do you know the other thing that I feel like failed is um, I don't know what if I call it the credentialism. Have you guys seen the 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 clip of um, uh, Kevin O'Leary talking on stage where he's talking about? And by the way, Kevin O'Leary's been on the podcast. You know, we've talked to him, and I, you know, he's done things in Washington that sort of thing. But he was just out and out claiming that FTX was the safest spot on the planet to put your crypto why because it's regulated because sam Bankman-Fried, Oof. you know hat is the son of um stanford professors who are just like know what they're doing like it's got just the credentialism in we that that's the social layer honestly that came in this cycle that's a little bit different than the social layer that you know and that we know from the ogs which is like f your credentialism like what yeah. <laughs> no on-chain cryptographic guarantees that's the that's the basis of this. It's not who, like, where'd you go to school. It's not you know which senator do you know. Who can you get in a room with? It's not what celebrities endorsing your product. It's on-chain cryptographic guarantees. That's how we know you're not lying. And we we lost that in this whole credentialism. Part of it is, I think, a dilution of uh, the social layer, Matt, with this whole like influx of uh finance i'm you're from finance i'm from finance i love finance but you know what i mean when i'm, I'm saying this new crop of individual that didn't get to the root level and uh appreciate the values through which this ecosystem was built you can hear from sbf why did i why did they start alameda well uh we were either going to go into sports gambling or trading commodities i don't know what the hell whatever makes the most money oh crypto that's why that's not why i'm here i know that's not why you're here and I hope bankless listener, it's not why you are here. Uh, we used to be in touch with these mission, the the, the mission, and uh, and we lost some of that the, the previous year. So maybe there's a reform that we can make on the social layer there too, Matt.
2: I think that's well said. I mean, look, this has happened in public markets. There've been big frauds. There've been people that have put their names on that. Uh, I'm a big Tom Brady fan. That doesn't change my opinion of Tom Brady. <laughs> <laughs> been um, He's oh, down look. bad. He suffered through this. <laughs> And <laughs> en- Enron had uh, Enron had fields, like, you know, Enron yeah. field in, in Houston, right? And like, yeah. you know, you just need to put better scaffolding in place. We have public blockchains now. We can do some of this stuff. We can prove reserves on chain. We can demand that our centralized institutions do more stuff. Nothing about this is about public blockchain and the protocols, you know, like, Nothing about what we've talked about this entire episode is about more than a fraudulent guy and a cast of characters that were fraudulent building a centralized business that was completely Wild West. So, you know, I think, look, some of that's going to be solved through regulation, but we can influence a lot of this stuff as an industry just by using the tools that are now available on public blockchains.
0: So, Matt... um... I think at times like this, there's a tendency, obviously, to to magnify the bad actors, right? And we're seeing like maybe the worst actors as uh, crypto's ever seen, maybe the 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 anti Satoshi or something like this is, has come for our industry, and is wreaking havoc. And it's you know is now leaving, is now gone. We do want to put these people behind us, but um, are there any adults left? And who are the adults? Like where are they? I mean, you could name names if you'd like. Um, you know, I've got a list in my head of people that. Um, are building this industry for the for the long run, and whom um, I actually do trust uh, to do the right thing. Um, but like, what do you see from your vantage point? Are there still some adults left in this industry that that uh, that care and uh, are going to work to clean up the mess from um, the crazy party that uh, SBF just threw?
2: I, I mean, look at it through this lens. I spend most of my time talking to early stage startups and a lot of developers, and so. The the real talent, the real all-stars in this industry are the open source development communities. And so I don't see any of that being impacted by this, right? So, uh, and that's across whatever chain you like. You've got open source developers, maybe, maybe not in like Ripple, but like there's open source developers everywhere that are uh, the real heroes here. Uh, and who, you know, who ends up winning on the centralized side? I think you're just going to see the capital is going to flow to the regulated entities right now. So if there was ever a time for, you know, Fidelity, Bank of New York, Mellon, Coinbase, all these regulated players, CBOE, which uh, CBOE, RSX, like all these businesses that have been just set up to disclose conflicts and not have proprietary trading firms attached to exchanges (laughs) and like seemingly obvious things like audits and proving reserves. I think the market will flow towards those type of market participants. Um, but look, it'll take time. I think right now there's going to be a lot of people on the allocation side that are just super gun-shy and, um, you know, we'll have some contagion here, I think, but coming out of it, it's the developers and it's the players that, you know, put regulation aside. It's the ones that do things to protect their customers and that are not predatory towards them.
0: Put a timeline on this. How long is it going to take to heal?
2: I, you know, a lot of this is going to be interest rate driven too. And so I think you can put, imagine if we were still living in a zero rate environment, it's I shudder to think that maybe <laughs> FTX you know, would have been able to, they would have been continuing the fraud if we were, you know, zero rate. So I think we're going to get a pivot at some point. We're going to have the Fed pull back, um, Appetite for risk will increase, um, and I think the other thing is very positive is that a lot of these institutional custody audited platforms in the U.S. are now coming online. So, you know, Fidelity has been at this for years, and now that product's in a position to launch for retail. Bank of New York Mellon's been working on this. Do you know how many people use Bank of New York Mellon for custody in other assets? How it's many? An, All of them. A lot. I mean, it's <laughs> it's the largest custodian in the world, and so they have. You know, a hundred people there that know what they're doing, building out MPC custody. I think that's unbelievably bullish for the industry. MPC but- custody. MPC huh? custody. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. That's- so, yeah, this you know, and, and I think it's been public that they're working with Fireblocks on that. So, you know, they know what they're doing over there. So I think um, that's reason for optimism. But, you know, ultimately, a lot of this is going to be rates driven, I think. I think that's yeah, going to be I- the, the
1: big thing. Um, legacy of this whole event is the polarization of some people are going to be like the the middle ground between pure decentralized protocols and highly regulated, trusted onshore centralized entities. The middle ground's gone. It's like pick yeah. one or the other. Like you're, yeah. you hold your own assets on your ledger on the chain, or you are in an onshore regulated US entity that looks and feels legit and has been around for a hundred years.
2: I, I think that's right. I mean, I think the defi space will be interesting to see because i i do like this idea of you know on-chain lending in defi and some of the things that you could potentially do at the intersection of regulated financial services and public blockchain so I think there's something there, um, and I think we'll have a blending. It's quite possible to me at some point in the future that centralized institutions in the U.S. are offering, you know, a lot of interesting creative products that right now are only available to individuals on like MetaMask and and messing around um, personally. But uh, I'll be here for it. I'm excited about it. I mean, on your point in Fidelity, I know
0: for the first time in a Fidelity account that uh, that I've seen you can actually buy ETH. I think that was, uh, just, um, just added pretty recently, which is, uh, which is really cool to see and definitely, um, you trust fidelity more than you trust, uh, an FTX, uh, right now. Um, and I think your, your other point about interest rates, right? Um, we would have never had the blowups that we had this year, unless the fed actually raised rates. And so there was all sorts of risk on shenanigans that were happening as a result of, of low zero almost negative cost of capital right and so this is like from a macro perspective this is very healthy the the most unhealthy thing would have been to your point matt if we had uh zero percent interest rates for a while and the charade and the ponzi got larger and larger um imagine sam like accruing ultimate power david and i in a live stream yesterday compared him to like emperor palpatine like you know episode one, he didn't know he was a Sith Lord, right? He's accruing power and pulling the strings in the background, and it turns out he's a pretty bad dude who's bent on controlling the entire galaxy. 0% interest rates uh, could have uh, given him that leverage. I guess um, maybe a question for you again on timing is, um, do you think the worst is behind us? Or do you think there are more blowups that we're going to see? And I'm not so much, you know, there's more contagion coming from this event, very probably. don't know how much more is ahead Uh, i'm more talking about another months down the road massive event like this uh is that in the in the cards for us or have we really burned off all of the um all of the mold from this space
2: I think you'll have some second order effects here around market participants, whether they be trading firms or hedge funds that that go under. I think some of these uh, rumors that we've seen around the third tier exchanges, I would be running for the hills if I had assets on some of these platforms. So I think some of that will happen. Um, What type of uh, an impact that would have, I would think it would be a lot less than what we just went through with FTX. The interesting thing about FTX is that they don't have a lot of Bitcoin and ETH left on the, the balance sheet either. And so... You know, from a market impact, we're not a trading firm. You know, we don't take these positions. but i it'll be interesting to see what happens to just the price of cryptocurrencies because it's it's unlike past blowups in the sense that there's not a ton of sell pressure just sitting on the sideline for some of these uh, large cap assets. there was a,
0: there's a theory that the worst actually hit us in the summer of this year when we saw, you know the three hours capital, massive liquidations of all of that Bitcoin, and all of that ether. And uh, this is um, a different type of event that might not hit those large cap assets uh, as much. Of course, the macro is still as uncertain as ever. As we're streaming this, uh, I guess there was a missile um, from uh, Russia that hit Poland. Yeah, I'm not ready
1: to go unpack that.
0: (laughs) Right? So there's that whole backdrop uh, as well. But um, yeah, it's interesting times for sure. Matt, um, thanks so much for spending time with us and uh, for being one of the adults in the room. Uh, we need people like you, Castle Island, Very to, uh, yeah, to to help us uh, through some of these things, particularly with your institutional experience. It's uh, super valuable, so we appreciate you.
2: Thanks for having me on, guys. Keep up the great work. Yes
0: action items for you today i don't know if we have any do we david we have so much content on the ftx sbf front that um you know you can go download some of that if if you want uh, we'll be talking about it a bit more along with our regular scheduled program which is uh next monday we have an episode coming out about the fed about the powell episode, and friends man. don't we people should look forward to <laughs> yeah. it i'm gonna listen to that one it's great uh it's really great and uh, i'll leave it there risks and disclaimers of course Crypto is risky, so is ETH, so is Bitcoin. All of DeFi is you could lose what you put in, but we're headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.